Welcome to the Carrero Podcast. Before we get started today, we would like to inform our listeners that Carrero is supported by edX Global. It's an international nonprofit where we work with K-12 students as they work with their local and global communities, providing service learning activities. In 2022, we are asking for your support in raising $20,000. It is to assist our students and their activities in creating gardens for schools and communities, purchasing and delivering blankets for the homeless, providing curriculum for teachers across the world, purchasing backpacks and filling them with educational items for students in need, and collecting and delivering food and toiletry items for the local homeless organizations. You can donate with Venmo using at edacts-global, or you can go to our website, which is www.edaxglobal.org, spelled edacts G-L-O-B-A-L dot org and donate. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Today, our guest is Malia Fallen. Yes, you heard that right. Another Malia. Malia is the Youth Engagement Director for the Health Community Initiative, HCI. And in this role, she oversees all aspects of Northfield Youth Bank and coordinates 90 plus youth and their service on local boards and commissions throughout the youth and the board programs. Youth Bank is a youth philanthropy program, and the Youth on the Board program facilitates authentic youth voice throughout the Northfield community by placing youth on the board's commissions and committees throughout the community. She also serves as a staff lead for the Northfield Promise Social Emotional Learning Impact Team and the adult advisor for students supporting students and a team member of the Northfield Racial and Ethnic Equality Collaborative. Hi, Malia. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, and your bio, you are incredibly busy. But can you tell us a little bit about your current position and the organization and like the services that it provides? Sure. Well, good morning or good afternoon. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, as my name is Malia Fallen, and I am the Youth Engagement Director at an organization called Healthy Community Initiative. We work in Rice County, Minnesota, and we're a countywide initiative. And our whole um, philosophy is that when uh, youth thrive and youth are healthy, your community is going to be healthy. And so our organization is all based on how do we best support our youth in the community. I personally work with teenagers, so I work with that like really late middle school through high school. Um, but our organization as a whole um, supports youth at all levels. And we define youth as up to about 26. Oh, so cool. we, we support youth through that whole level. And then, of course, we support their families because um, that is the, the primary unit for uh, any 
youth, any child. Um, and so our organization is really focused on making sure that they have support and resources and information and education um, and anything they need to be, become the best versions of themselves. So that's really what Healthy Community Initiative is all about. I, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted for the reason that everything which, in which you were saying, I'm like, she's speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know, and so how did you how did you get in, in, involved with this, or yeah. why 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 youth? You know, what's what's your what's your DNA in order to want to do something like this? Yeah, I'm one of those people that um, I've always liked teenagers. So you know how so there's just some people that are like, oh, teenagers, they're just not my jam. Well, teenagers are my jam. I, I love them. I love spending time with them. And so um, I've had a varied career. Um, and Northfield is a is a kind of a bedroom community of the Twin Cities. We're about 40 miles south of the Twin Cities. And my husband and I moved down here about 10 years ago. And when we moved, um, it was like the right time for me to look at doing something different. And so um, I had had a background in raising money and doing like strategic planning for nonprofit organizations. And so Healthy Community Initiative at that time asked me to come in and do some strategic planning with them, run their board and the, their leadership team through some strategic planning. And, and I was, I did it um, gratis because I thought it was just such a great organization and I just believed in everything they were doing around youth. And um, as I was doing that, our our personalities clicked. And so I ended up consulting for them and doing some paid work in the in the fund development area. And then randomly one um, President's Day weekend uh HCI had the opportunity to send youth to learn about this youth philanthropy program called Youth Bank, and they couldn't find any adults on staff to go with them. And so the director said, is there any chance you're available to do this? And I said, yes. And that is literally how my job started working with kids. I happened to be the one available, and I took these kids up there. And so I became the adult advisor to Youth Bank, and then I took on some other parts of um, work as time went on. So. Um, my DNA, I'm not quite sure what my DNA is other than I like to try different things. I believe that um, you never are tied to one career. I tell youth that all the time when they're so worried about what they're going to study in college. It's like, you know, I'm on career number five. It just continually changes. And, and that's the beauty of like you, you find what your passion is and you continue to to find it. And so this is the longest I've been doing anything. And I really just enjoy um, having interaction with teenagers and, um, and youth and their perspectives. So. Yeah. Cause, cause I, cause I, I noticed um, I did some digging and it, <laughs> um, and you, so you, so you have a, a bachelor's in accounting and then a BS in nursing. Correct. Um, and, and now you're working with youth. Um, yeah. I find that amazing, but how how does all of that intersect? Well, the the accounting and the nursing go together really easily, and people are always surprised by that. But um, to be a good accountant and to be a good nurse, you have to be very detail oriented. 
And so you need to notice things. And so um, you need to notice oddities and numbers and you need to notice oddities in the human condition and, and how people are presenting, right? To be a good nurse. I worked as a surgical intensive care nurse. So I was with pretty sick people, right? Um, so that observation and that, um, that attention to detail, I think, um, pulls those two together. And then I think coming back um, to the position I'm in now, it's that observation and being able to notice when um, a youth might be looking for something and not able to express it and being able to draw that out of them. And so helping Northfield Promise when it started back in 2012 was the only and it still remains the only group within the Strive Network that has um, social emotional benchmarks as well that they're saying it's really important that kids meet those social emotional benchmarks. So um, HCI, um, the organization I work for, is the backbone support for this community-wide initiative. And so I act as the staff support. I bring together people from the school district, people from the community, people from other nonprofits that are working on social-emotional support for youth. And how can we um, make sure that all of those arrows that um, are in a community that are doing work, that they all are lined up and headed in the same direction so that you get some momentum and hopefully start to move forward on these benchmarks. So um, I work very closely with the school district on that and how do we support youth within the within the school around social emotional learning. Um, and then students, oh, do you have a question? No, 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 I'm just, I'm just listening. <laughs> and then um, Student Supporting Students is a peer support program within the high school. It was started by the school psychologist. And then because of my work with Northfield Promise, she asked me to come in and be one of the adult advisors on that. And so we have a group. Currently, we have 38 youth within, within the high school that are designated peer supporters or student supporters. Um, and what we do is we... Um, we, it's actually a really cool way that youth come to that program. We um, survey all the youth in the high school and ask them, who do they turn to? Name a friend that you turn to when you need support. And oh. so we they self-select these youth to be part of this program, even though they don't really know that that's what they're doing. And then we say, when we bring the kids in, we say, like, you obviously have natural skills. Let us make your natural skills a little bit better. And then let us also make sure that you have the support you need as your friends are coming to you. So here are adults that can back you up so that you're not constantly the one that's um, trying to manage all of that and take all of that in. So um, so that's a program that's been going for about six years. It's really great. And it's really great to hear from kids when they leave the high school and they're in college and they come back and they say, wow, I, I can't believe the, the stuff that I learned, how much I use that in college and with my friends in college. So, um, And then the last one, the Northfield Racial Ethnic and Equity Coalition. Um, like, you know, most communities around the world, country, we have work to do in the area of equity and ethnic and racial um, 
equity. And so it's a um, coalition, again, of the city, the school district, and the major nonprofits in our community where we're doing work to say, what what can we do to help um work towards making this a more equitable community for everyone to live in. And so working in areas of um, housing, um, how do we uh, change uh, rental laws and down payments and um, uh, inspections, um, working in areas of HR, um, and then within the school, how do we look towards hiring more teachers of color um, and um, making sure that kids are represented in, in different ways. So it's a, that is also another kind of community collaborative initiative, and I'm, I'm working in one subset of it that's really focused on raising awareness in our community around um, equity issues. What do you think is your biggest challenge in in that work? Um, in the uh, equity work? Yeah. I think, you know, it's really interesting. Probably the biggest challenge for us here in this community is um, we skew old. Northfield actually skews old. Um, and so... This idea of, um, and excuse liberal, in a um, rural community where everything around it maybe isn't as liberal. Um, and so uh, we have perception issues, I think, mm-hmm. is our biggest um issue right now. We have a subset of an older white population that thinks it's worse than it probably is. And we have a younger um, population that thinks it's better than it is, you know? And so we actually just finished a survey and it's really perception and um, reality sometimes just don't match up at all. And, and um, our people of color that answered the survey. You know, we had a fairly good representation, but people of color who answered the survey actually answered that um, Northfield is more welcoming than non than white people did. Hmm. So it was, it's this interesting perception of um, what, what is the real work and what is the superficial work? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to need to uh, chew on that because that's, that's a fascinating perception. And so what, what you may or may not get is that the white population may, may be wanting to do a lot of, a lot of things, whereas the, whereas the people of color are going, why? It's, it's, it's fine. Right. Um, you know, and, so, and so, so trying to get them to communicate with. Yeah, get them to communicate and, and also make sure that the, where the, the white population wants to work is actually beneficial to the the people, uh, the population of color in the community. Like there are yeah. some things that feel really good, but there's other things that really move the needle yeah, and might and not feel as good. So what, um, what type of work would you say moves the needle? I would say things around employment mm-hmm. um, moves the needle. Things and things around housing. I would say those are probably the two biggest things for us locally here. Are our um, housing? We have a very tight housing market, and um, 
th- things such as having to have, um, you know, first last month security deposit as a down payment. Those those are real barriers mm-hmm. um, to a lot of our population. Yeah. And then um, employment, you know, it's it's really interesting if you read, um, and it's getting. It, th- there has been some shifts, I have to say that, but um, two years ago, if you'd read a job description, you know, to work as a, an admin, you needed a, a college degree, you know, and that just, it's not, so that challenge of like, really what is needed in this role mm-hmm. and how can we open that up to more people? So... Um, I'm also interested, and I and and I thank you for for bringing up the the diversity of teachers uh, because mm-hmm. that's 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 part of uh, you know I I was doing research on why ethnic minority high school students don't don't want to go into teaching, and then I also um, did a study on why ethnic minority college students don't want to go into teaching, and so and that's that's a huge problem. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to say a problem. It's a, it's it's something that that we need to address more. Um, yeah, and and the reason being is that the high school students were saying some great things um, with regards to why they're not, you know, they're not going going into teaching, um, as well as our college college students. So I'm, I'm I'm glad that you're that you're thinking about this because that's. That's huge, and even even for myself, being a being a high school teacher and then a and then a college prof, working with people that that you know wanted that wanted to go into teaching, I would always ask them, "How many teachers have you have you had that kind of look like me?" Mm-hmm. And their eyes get all wide, and they're like, "I don't know if we're supposed to answer this." I'm like, "Well, why?" Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm I'm curious because I told them I had two. Right. Um, I had two throughout throughout my under throughout my K K twelve and undergrad years. I only had two profs and teachers that were that that weren't white. And right. and when I finally had a Latino prof, I was like, so I could do this. This, I, this know, is open to me, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I have I currently have students of color who are you know, learning to be teachers and who have said that. They said, I did not have any teachers who looked like me growing up. And when I had my first one, I was like, oh, I, I'm i allowed to do that job, which I, is just yes. like an interesting uh, realization for, um, for people to have. And also uh, in California, we don't make it very easy for people no. to become teachers. Um, and so you you almost have to come from a place of privilege because of how much money it costs to become a teacher and then how little they're paid and then mm-hmm. how many tests you have to pay for to um, become a teacher. So, yeah. so, yeah. so, so if, after this, we should, we should talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to brag a little bit on healthy community initiative, just a little bit. So beyond my work, as I said, we define youth up to 26. And one of the things that we have started is something that we call the Northfield Community College Collaborative. And so we were finding that we would, um, we have a program that's really focused on first gen and um, students of color um, in the high school, in the middle school and high school and getting them ready to go to college. And we were finding that kids would graduate from that. We had a real, we have a pretty 
great graduation rate and that they would go to college and they would bounce back. Mm-hmm. That bounce back was really real. And it, and it, the bounce back was for a variety of reasons. Um, but then they'd be here in Northfield. And as I said, it's a bedroom community. And we have two colleges here, which is great, St. Olaf and Carleton. But they're, they're small liberal arts colleges that are expensive and, uh, and elite and, you know, hard to get into. So you'd have these kids bounce back from college and um, then be trying to find a job in their college hopes are, were waylaid. And so we started something called this Community College Collaborative where we actually have space and they're taking college classes here. They're taking online classes and we bring professors from other community colleges here. If we have enough kids register for one class, enough youth, then so they can be in this community. All of the classes are at night. They have all kinds of tutoring support, et cetera. And so we have that. And then just this year, we're starting an education pathways. And so part of the community college collaborative will be how do we, how do we bring in classes and have classes available for specifically for um, students of racial, you know, diversity to start taking those education courses. And so we're, our hope is to graduate 12 out of that over the next couple of years to to get those kids on the pathway, those youth on the pathway to to that education, um, kind of being a teacher, figuring out how, how they can come back and do that. So, um, again, recognizing it, but making those hard steps yeah. and those long term those long term investments because nothing these things don't change overnight, right? right? We want them to. We want to see those quick wins, mm-hmm. but. Something like changing like a, a makeup of a high school and who's teaching, that's long. That's, yeah. that's you got to dig in. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, yeah. And, and yeah, we could, we could talk about that afterwards because, yeah, there were, there were a lot of interesting things that I was finding out. Um, you also, part of your work that you, that you do, the, a lot of the volunteer work, you also work for the junior league. Can you tell us about, about that? Sure. So the Junior League, it's a it's a volunteer organization. So I don't work for them. I volunteer with them. Um, and the Junior League is um, a women's organization. It was started back. It's very old. It was started in 1901. Oh, um, and it was that. start. What's that? I never knew that. That yeah. was a women's organization. It's a women's organization and it's really focused on, um, so as I said, started in 1901, it was started by a young woman in New York who, um, saw the tenements at that time and was hoping that she felt like she and her friends who are also of privilege should, should, and could be able to do something to help the, the people that were living in the tenements. And so started as this way to serve the community. And then over the years, it's really um, grown into more of a women's training and education organization. And so, um, my friend and I, we always say we build, the junior leagues build the women that build communities. And so it's really about how do you educate women to become real civic and community leaders? And so it's this really experiential education process. And so I joined the junior league in 2001 and um, was able to work in the community of Minneapolis at that time, running different programs and projects um, and so it's that experiential piece of how do you, how do you find people in the community to 
talk with to understand what community needs are and then to collaborate with them to see if you can offer something that could help move their goals forward. It's not about bringing in your own goals, but it's about going out into the community, understanding community needs and figuring out how you can partner with them. And so through that process, I took on a variety of different leadership roles um, and got to the point where I was the president of the Junior League of Minneapolis Local League, which was like running a small business. I had a, um, a budget of like 500,000. I had uh, over 800 different volunteers that worked with the organization. And so this idea of experiential learning, that's how I really learned how to run a business, right? Wow. I had to raise the money. I had to spend the money appropriately. I had to make sure it was all reported correctly. Obviously, I had people helping me, but um, for that year, the buck stopped with me. And so um, it's just this great organization about um, figuring out how um, a woman's voice um, can change the conversation. It's, it's very similar to how I believe youth can change the conversation that, um, too many times, um, our tables have a certain type of person at that table where decisions are being made. And if we can diversify the voices that are around that table, it's better for everyone. So if we can have more women around that table, if we can have more youth around that table, if we can have more people of color around that table making decisions in our community, our communities are going to be stronger. And so the Junior League was really that piece of like, how do, how do women step into that um, strongly? So that that's kind of the Junior League thing. <laughs> That's awesome. You I, are, I, you're so active, like in the community and volunteering and um, just making the communities better places. How did you come into that kind of work? Um, so my, my mother um, was a real volunteer. She wasn't involved in the junior league when I was growing up, but she was a real volunteer. My parents were very involved in church and my mother volunteered through church and, um, when I was in high school, I, I I was encouraged by my parents to start a volunteer club. And so, how do I? How do you do that? And so, how do you go out and and um, give back? You know, I I fully recognize that I've had a, a very um, privileged life, and part of that is how do you um, um, share. And how do you give back? And so um, it was drilled into me from a kind of a young age that um, we're all part of a, a community and that if one part of your community isn't doing well, then, you know, the whole community isn't. So that idea of how can you lift others up has always been just kind of part of the conversation in my world. And so, and I found different ways to volunteer and in different venues, you know, um, sometimes like direct service is great, but sometimes direct service isn't, isn't what is needed. And what is needed is someone to figure out how to help somebody raise money. And so that idea of raising funds becomes really important. So that's also a way of volunteering, but in a, in a different way, rather than going in and reading books, you know, which is yeah. lovely. And you get that rush and that those endorphins right away. But sometimes it's more that, you know, stepping back and figuring out, okay, what, what do, what does this community need so that they can bring, do, um, do the work 
you know, how can I add those like backbone kind of yeah. background type supports? So volunteering takes many different forms. And yeah. You know. And like you said, spending, spending your time and efforts in places that are going to have bigger impacts, um, not yeah. just like the quick, easy, like, okay, I did my part this month. Now I you know, can feel good about it, but right. how can you really make an impact? Yeah. And so I've been lucky to actually volunteer with some organizations that are, are more like grant funders. And so that's been, that's always really um, fulfilling work to be able to um, figure out what gets funded in the community to help, help figure that out um, and say, you know, to really look at what does the community need, which organizations are doing it in unique, sustainable ways and um, help do that kind of work. So I've, I've been lucky to do that as well. You know, and, and this and this next question, you know, based based on your background and based based on your on your skills, is uh, is kind of personal for me, just for the reason that I I started a nonprofit oh. and and I fought against it, but the powers that be that were that were out there just lined it like, no, you have to do it. Um, so, and and it's been going on for about eleven years now, um, or twelve years. I forget. <laughs> so what do you see are the three main issues preventing or, um, organizations from moving forward? Oh, th- wow. That's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I, I think it, it, so. I, some of it depends on the age of the organization. So uh, for an organization like, let's take the Junior League, for example, I, I currently serve at the national, international level on the board of directors for that. So there's 297 leagues across four countries. And so I serve on the board for all of those. And it's probably its biggest struggle right now is step, is giving up the way we've always done things. So that history, that um, tradition. So if your organization's been around for a long time, I think probably one of the biggest struggles is how do you let go of what served you in the past to embrace what can serve you in the future. And that can be scary and that can be hard. And um, it's easy to, to fall back on, we've always done it this way, so we need to continue doing it this way. And I think some organizations really um, struggle with that. So that would be one thing for an or- older organization. For a newer organization, I think some of the things that um, stand in their way is um, that you have to play the game a little bit. You know, you have to understand where um, funding might come from to to make your um, work a reality. And so what are the... um, requirements to get that funding, you know, and if you need to set up systems in order to get data so that you can report back so that your funding continues to come, I think that is, um, I think that infrastructure piece can be really hard for a newer organization, especially when someone that's super passionate starts something um, to say, I have to do kind of the boring back office type work in order to get it really stable. Um, 
and make sure that it's going to meet all of its requirements so that it can be here for the long term. And then maybe the third thing I would say is um, that future planning. How do you how do you make it carry on beyond yourself? How do you how do you inspire the next generation? One of the ways I always talk about the 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 junior league is that you know I've been in it for so long, like the the work of the training piece of it. I've really benefited from that, and now my job is to make sure that it's there for other people to benefit from it. And so my job is now more this alumnus type thing, you know. And so how do you get people to move from that stage of like it's all about me and it's about my passion and it's about what I want to do with this organization to how do I support that next group that's coming in that that has a different take that has a different look to to take the organization to the next step. And so that future planning, that that succession planning on who's going to be your leader and your visionary, I think can be really hard to do when it's something that's been so important in your world and so defines who you are. I like that um, because, yeah, we've, one of the things that that's been tough is finding board members that that'll do work, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, so I'm, I'm the, uh, and I've, and I've stepped away saying, okay, this is what I'm focusing on. This is the only thing I want to focus on. You guys do this. And it's, and then it's like, no, it's like, oh, all right. I'll be, yeah. the I'll be this, I'll be that. I'll, I'll do all this stuff. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's wearing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you bring up an excellent point, that definition of what do you want from your board of directors and how do you set those expectations is so important for a nonprofit organization, especially as it's getting going, you know, that stage of you need a working board, you need a board that can dig in, that can help you raise the money, that can help you, you know, set the vision. And then as you get established, then you can go to more to more of a strategic or governing board. But that idea of what stage are you in and how do you recruit board members for that and set those expectations, that's a lot of work. You know, I was a um, the first executive director of a nonprofit up in Minneapolis and, and having to find those board members that were able to do, we were in heavy fundraising mode and to find those board members that were willing to come in and do a capital campaign fundraising. That was really hard. Yeah. That was really hard. So, and it's hard to get volunteers to work mm-hmm. because, and, and when it's your, your passion project it's hard to get everyone else's passion to align with yours so like it's easy to feel like to just dedicate hours every day to it when it's your passion but when you have other volunteers who it you know like they want to help but it's not their passion it's certainly hard to get everyone on board with that absolutely yeah and and people come with different vision and different capabilities and capacities. So yeah, yeah. starting a nonprofit's hard. Yeah. You, um, <laughs> keeping, keeping a nonprofit going is hard. So. Yeah. 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 You mentioned, uh, that you got some of like, you saw your mom volunteering. Um, were there other people in your life who helped create, um, this sense of, you know, giving back or just create you as the person you are today? 
Um, so I've been lucky to have some really great mentors um, in my world, um, particularly in the volunteer sector. Um, I, I guess I'm hearkening back to the junior league again, but that that was something that was really important in that um, when I first came in and was first running a project, I had a woman who was about 15, 20 years my senior who came in and, and um, walked alongside me and really was a great mentor um, and uh, partnered with me in the work, but also pushed me and challenged me to take on new roles and to try different things. And so um, that mentorship piece, she was, she was really important in how I moved forward in that. Um, and then, you know, I've got an amazing husband and he is... Um, He's super supportive of the work I do, and um, that has meant that I'm able to do it, right? Um, So I've been able to um, put things um, ahead of uh, maybe really building building a financially (laughs) very lucrative career because my husband has said, no, this work is important, as well. That's and, great. And he supports me in that. Yeah. That's really so, cool. Yeah. Um, and then, and then talking about youth, um, since you, since you have a, since you have a finger on their pulse, um, are there, are there, are there things that, that you're finding that youth really, really want from their, from their schools? Um, and what, what, what are they? Um, and then what are some needs that, that kids need? So I think we've touched on a couple of the things already just in our conversation that youth really want. Um, They want to have representation um, in they want to be able to see themselves when they're when they're at school. So they want to be able to see, you know, um, teachers that look like them, administrators that look like them. Um, So that representation of um, who they are as part of their school world, I think, is really important. The other thing I would say, and again, we touched on it a little bit, is um, mental health, mental health support. It's really big for teenagers right now. the pandemic has been tough. It's been tough on all of us. It's been particularly tough, I think, on teenagers. Um, and that idea of how do we get back to a place where um, um, discomfort is discomfort rather than anxiety. And I, I, I think there's been a little bit of a, um, we need to have a reset on, you know, sometimes things are hard and sometimes you're gonna be anxious, but that's okay. That's part of growing up and that's part of changing. And how do we, how do we talk about that? And how do we talk about mental health and, and mental health norms with youth so that they can um, build that resilience, if that makes sense? No, it does. So, yeah. It does. Um, I, have a, I have a daughter who's in her second year of her master's. She's uh, getting a MFT. Okay. Um, she's, and she's one of her assignments is, is working at one of our local high schools. And so she, so she's seen about maybe 12 high school students mm-hmm. and she doesn't tell me everything, but she's like, dad, <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of stuff taking place. There's a lot of stuff and there's, and, and there's just a lot of, um, how do we norm again? How do we find our norm again of, you know, 
sometimes you're going to go through some hard stuff. We all do. But how do you do that? How do you do that health in a healthy way, in a way that builds you up um, and in a way that, um, you know, you're stronger as you come through it. And um, there just needs to be more um more supports in the school system around that and also just more norming around what um, is what is kind of part of life, you know. But it's it got <laughs> skewed over the last two years. I mean, let's be honest, yeah. all of us <laughs> have no idea what's happening, but, you know, it, it really got skewed over the last two years on and who do you reach out to? How do you find that base of support? How do you um, find a group that you can um, call your you know, call your squad, right, to get you through something um, that's been hard? I think that we can we can probably all identify with that now having lived uh, almost through the pandemic um, because so many of us had those feelings of isolation and you know needing that, that way to connect. And so I think it's helpful now because it, it makes it a little bit more socially acceptable to talk about it and to, and to, like you mentioned, have your squad, have your tribe, have your your people that you reach out to, and, and it's okay if you need more. And, right. Um, yeah. And so I guess maybe that can be something good that has come out of the, yeah. the, the pandemic, if we are allowed to, you know, say that. But, um, you know, Malia, I really enjoy this conversation today and, and learning from you and, and hearing all this really amazing work that you're doing As we wrap up this um, podcast, we like to ask our guests what their call to action is. And so this is the one thing that you would like listeners to take away from you from this conversation. So, Malia, what is your call to action? So my call to action, and I'm not sure we touched on it enough that it's going to make sense, but I hope it still does. But my call to action for any everyone listening to this is that never underestimate the voice of a youth, that um, they're going to bring something to a conversation that um, is going to uh, surprise you and also um, cha- challenge you to think about things in in different ways and to think about things in unique ways. Uh, My whole, the, really the basis of my work is really saying that youth um, should have a place at a table and that when they have the place at the table, that um, we're going to be stronger because of it. They see things differently. They ask different questions. They process differently. Um, And so that idea that um, we sideline them at times because they might not have the experience that we think is necessary to be be making decisions or to be at decision-making tables, I would just challenge everybody to really relook at that, especially when you're making decisions that will affect them. Um, one of our, my taglines for one of the groups I work with is for youth by youth, and youth should never have um, a program thrust on them that they haven't had input into. You know, especially at like you know that teenage level, mm-hmm. um, they need to they. Um, 
decisions are made like in a boardroom about something for them. And then they, we say, you need this, <laughs> whereas it's going to be a better program. It's going to be a better outcome if youth are there and helping you develop those, those things. So, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We agree. Well, awesome. thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for contributing to our discussion and, um, and for all your work in the world. And we look forward to seeing what else comes out of the work that you're doing. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciated it and enjoyed that. Enjoyed our time together. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.